about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, You you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Oh, Heavenly Father, in your grace and kindness, uh, open this word to us today. Teach teach us. Uh, teach us what we need to hear from your word. Give us ears to hear. And uh, Lord, we pray particularly that you will encourage us, that you will, you will strengthen us, that you will heal, heal us, that you will give us faith as we look at this example. And you'll teach us many things, O oh Lord, by your Spirit, we pray. In the name of Jesus only, amen. Okay, so we, this is a very moving story, a very interesting story. You know, it's just a lot, a lot, to me, it's interesting uh, that it's recorded here carefully for us in Mark. Of course, this is recorded uh, many years after it happened. Uh, as, as you know, uh, you remember this, probably the recollection of Peter. Uh, Mark wasn't there at the time, but he was super close with Peter, uh, Peter the apostle and the disciple, and Peter uh, gave him these recollections firsthand. It's like it just happened. Actually, kind of the remarkable thing, though, about this, I think, is that you don't hear a lot of this happening. You know, uh, this this happens, and it's kind of a unique story. Uh you would think that people would catch on. Hey, this is a great way to get healed. Uh, but it doesn't happen. It's not recorded. Later on, actually, you know, the apostles had some of this happening. In the book of Acts, uh, it records that uh, they would walk by and, and people would be healed and there, there, there would be, you know, cloths that would heal people. Uh, kind of interesting. Um, but here is this lady. And we want to start out thinking about her. And I, I think there's actually a lot we should learn just from her. Um, first of all, I want to go to the idea of being overwhelmed. Uh, this is an overwhelming problem she has. Uh, the Bible calls it an issue of blood. Is it, is it menstrual? You know, probably. But it doesn't even specify that or, or not. Um, but she's, and notice how long she's had it. She's had it for 12 years. It's kind of interesting. She's no doubt 
older than Jesus. Uh, I think it's a pretty safe guess. Later on, he'll call her daughter, which is just a sweet and wonderful thing. Uh, but she's had this embarrassing problem, difficult problem. The, one of the interesting things about the record here in Mark is it, it doesn't even go to the whole issue of this makes her ceremonially unclean. It makes her, in terms of her religion, her faith, she can't really even worship because of this issue. He doesn't even go there, uh, which is, is good. Let's, let's just not go there. I already sort of went there, but we're going to come back. We'll just stick with the text, okay? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good discipline, by the way. You study the Bible, stick with the Bible. You don't have to bring a lot into it. There's plenty here. Because um, she is overwhelmed. Twelve years. Um, and notice that she, it's, the, the language is almost funny because um, it says, verse 26, who had suffered much under, under many physicians. Suffered much. You know, if, if you're a physician, you got to wince a little bit there. Like, Ugh, yeah, physicians cause a lot of pain. <laughs> Uh, the code is, the first is do no harm. It's called non-maleficence. Um, that's your 75 cent word of the day. Non-maleficence. I got it out twice. <laughs> do no harm, right? But these physicians, first of all, this is sort of pre, obviously way pre-modern medicine. Uh, they, they have no idea what they're doing, essentially. Uh, and they do a lot of harm to her. And, and there are many areas, I don't want to cause any kind of you know, riot or throw anything at me, but let's just be honest, even with our great modern medicine, we have no idea what we're doing sometimes. Is that okay to say? I mean, a good doctor will tell you that too. You know, we make the joke, he's practicing medicine. You know, she's practicing medicine. Uh, she, she's trying really hard, and to the best of her knowledge and with the best science, this is what we think will help. Um, and you can think of our dear, you know, President George Washington. If you, you know, read his death scene, he had a, you know, a bad flu, so what, what do you do? You bleed him. <laughs> so they brought in several, you know, leeches and things and bled him. And, well, he's not getting any better. Bleed him again, you know. It's, okay, that's counterproductive. Uh, that will kill you. And, and the, all the treatments were counterproductive. Um, it says, so that uh, she was getting worse. She grew, she was no better, but rather grew worse. And then I actually skipped over the other painful part, right? And that is she spent all she had. Physicians are expensive. Medical care is very expensive. Uh, think of, I like to think of Steve Jobs, who was one of the great men of, of my generation, the founder of Apple Computer, along with Steve Wozniak. And uh, he contracted a, a cancer, right? He has all the wealth in the world, all the, the best research possible, and it killed him. It killed him. He couldn't stop the disease. Um, and, and this woman is in a similar situation. She's, she's dying. She's getting weaker. She's spent all her money. She must have been a woman of some wealth uh, because it does say she had many physicians who were uh, helping her, quote, 
helping her. Uh, she's overwhelmed. All her best efforts were counterproductive. Now, this is maybe a sermon within a sermon. Just a little bit of a thought here. Um, I, some of you know I volunteer as a chaplain up at our community hospital. And before that came here 20 years ago, I was a full-time hospital chaplain uh, at Valley Medical Center in San Jose um, on Bascom Avenue. And uh, part of that ministry there, I was on the bioethics committee uh, discussing end-of-life issues uh, back in the uh, mid-80s and into the 90s. And up, up at the hospital, I've just been asked to serve on a task force uh, about end-of-life issues. And one of the interesting issues for the hospital, and it relates to who we are and some of our sister churches, is that there are there's Christians who uh, get into an overwhelming health situation like this woman or with other diseases, etc., and they come in to the hospital and say, you have to do everything possible because I have to hold on because that shows my faith and I'm holding on for God to do a miracle. And I'm required by my faith to do everything scientifically possible no matter how slim the percentage of success is. Uh, and I, I, I'd like to think and I'm pretty sure this is true, this is Christians who probably haven't thought it through real well, and they might just have just sort of an uninformed faith, and, and also by uh, actual anecdotal evidence. <laughs> a lot of this does come from the Pentecostal background. You, you imagine Pentecostal believer who's not really well informed in his faith. They believe in miracles. I believe in miracles. Uh, it'd be a fool to say, God can't do miracles. He, he just can't. No, he, he can and he does. Uh, I've seen it happen my own self. But does your faith require you to hold on and hold on for God to do a miracle? And I think if you really think deeply about that, there's something very disturbing about that. Because does God need a ventilator to step in and heal you? No, he's not dependent on any of that. Uh, he can and will heal us if he desires to do so without um, extreme measures. You're not required by your faith in any way, shape, or form to, to demand extreme favor, uh, measures uh, or favors <laughs> uh, to, to, to you know, say, okay, God, look, look at my faith. I'm, we're going to hold on for another two weeks, oh, Lord, and then, then you can heal. No, that's illogical. God does not depend on these things to heal. So we should be people who are really free to say, I'm going to put my hands, my, myself in the hands of God. And I'm willing to allow myself to go. And if God desires to deliver me, he will. And if he doesn't, then, then he won't. Uh, I lived through, uh, I think it was a sad situation. One of the dear folks in our church, uh, an older couple, um, the, the wife, was 
quite ill, and she had she was in close to 80 years old, and had uh, serious health problems. She had uh, diabetes, and she had uh, she was overweight quite seriously, and it had a lot of you know, heart problems because of it. And she came to a decision, and she called me in and said, you know, Pastor, uh, the doctors are saying we could do a heart surgery on you, but we don't advise it, and we don't think it will really be successful. And she came to me, and I, we talked and uh, about this. She said, is it okay? Is it okay between me and God if I, if I say, no, I don't want this surgery? And I said, yes, yes, yeah, that's completely fine. Uh, the Lord doesn't require us to hold on for that extreme measure so that he can do a miracle. You know, in our story, it's actually just the opposite. You know, the physicians were sort of killing her, uh, and, and that happens too, as she was trying to be healed. Well, this lady made that decision, strong decision, and we agreed, and we prayed, and she felt good about it. She was up at the community hospital. And uh, then, and then, her adult children came into town who lived up in the Northwest, and they weren't a part of that original conversation, right? So when they come in, sort of, oh, no, Mom, you can't give up. So sadly, they talked her into having the surgery, and it ended up that she was, she had the surgery, never recovered, was in the hospital about four months, you know, in a vegetative state, uh, you know, and it just it just made her death so much more complicated and difficult. You know, again, sovereignty of God. I understand that's the way God decided, but but that pressure on mom. No, you've got to do everything. No, we don't. Uh, we don't have to do everything. It's okay. It shows our faith, our true faith, that uh, this life is not all we have. It's like actually one of the wonderful stories. Pat, uh, Pat Torrey likes to tell, there's these uh, several old folks up in heaven, and they think, man, heaven is so fantastic. Why in the world did I eat all that oatmeal on earth, you know, <laughs> to, to preserve my life on earth? You know, what's the story here? Why was it so clinging to this life when heaven is so wonderful? So anyway, that, that's the sermon within the sermon. It's interesting, this is a case in point where here's a lady who is overwhelmed by disease, and I think from our point of view, it's okay if she doesn't treat. It's okay if she doesn't get the doctors to treat her. Of course, there, the, the word here, she will be made well and live. And it's also in, in um, the blessing of Jesus right at the, well, at the bottom. Let's see where it is. Daughter, your faith has made you well. It is the word in Greek, sozo, uh, which is the main word for salvation. It's a very common word in the New Testament. It's used about 110 times. And 90% or so of the times, it is spiritual salvation. You're saved, right? Here it clearly means she's healed. But in the context of the New Testament, it's really fair to say, hey, this reminds us of spiritual salvation. This is about a physical healing, but there's no doubt that there's implications and there's reminders of what's going on spiritually as well. 
Because in the spiritual realm, the Bible teaches us that we're all sick. We're sick with sin. We're actually terminally ill. And in fact, other scriptures say we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And we're, we are overwhelmed and we cannot heal ourselves. And no human effort can save us. And no amount of money can save us from this massive disease. Also, uh, as, uh, as I study this, I, it pops off the page if you're reading it through in the Greek text, the word disease. disease. Think of that English word. Dis-ease. Well, I was at ease, and now I'm no longer at ease. I'm uncomfortable. You know, it's like, why do we layer our language with such silly euphemisms? You understand what I'm saying? Oh, I'm slightly diseased. You're dying. <laughs> you're retching in bed. You're you're horribly miserable. Oh no, I'm just at disease. <laughs> Let's just cut through the euphemism. And the Greek does that because the word is to be the word is actually whip or scourge. You're being whipped. Come on, you're suffering. This is a huge suffering for her. And the word is, like I said, the noun for whip. It's her scourge. There's no, no euphemism there. You know what the word euphemism means. You say something that sounds nice, like disease versus whip. Now, why is that interesting in terms of theology? Again, this reminds us of something. Because you know what it is? Sin is cursed. And we're actually flogged. We're, it's our scourge to be sinners. We deserve it. We deserve the condemnation, the death sentence that is upon us as we are naturally born. That's why we need Jesus. He, what, did Jesus take, he took my dis-ease upon him. <laughs> yes, he took your dis-ease. He took your flogging. He took your beating. He took the curse of God Almighty for us. There's no euphemism in the cross. There's no euphemism there. Cut through that crap and look at sin. What does sin deserve? What we we are, we're enemies of God. We're rebels, and sin deserves curse and damnation. Uh, and that's that's what this text says. She she had a scourge. She she wasn't slightly motivated to be dis delivered from this. <laughs> no, God the Holy Spirit had opened her heart and mind. I love I love um, in her being overwhelmed. Um, look what it says. It says what she heard. Verse 27, she had heard reports about Jesus. That, that again, reminds us of the preaching of the gospel. We should be the people like the Goebbels who go to China and give reports about Jesus. You know, Jesus can heal you. He can save you from the scourge of eternal 
death and damnation. Let's, let's be those people who gossip the good news, right? We're here to give you this, this report. Jesus can, can save you. He's the Savior. Hallelujah. All I need is, is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. The, the word hallelujah means to lift up. You know, praise God. I reach for you. Oh, Lord God. So she had an overwhelming problem. I also want to just pull in what I've said before. The Bible never ever says that God will not test you uh, to the point of being overwhelmed. The Bible doesn't say that. There's this, you know, hallmark myth. You know, people who studied at the theology school of Hallmark <laughs> that says God will never give you more than you can bear. It's just not true, dear friends. Uh, he gives us, this is a gift to her, this gift of being overwhelmed. It's more than she can bear. And it pushes her to someone who can bear it. You know, that's the hallelujah point. I can't do this, Lord. I can't save myself. I'm wealthy. I, I can't buy it. I need you. And I'm desperate for you. And that's the work of God, the Holy Spirit in her heart preparing her to come. So next is, uh, let's just admire her perseverance too, right? Twelve years of this, this thing and she never gave up. There, there is a huge lesson here. She did not give up. We, she kept going on. She kept trying. She heard about Jesus and she comes on uh, to him. Next, I just want to think about this. Act. Action changes things. And Alan even mentioned the action in the psalm uh, that of Psalm 122 today too. She took action to come to Jesus. Not easy, not not uh, simple for her to come to Jesus. She took action. She believed, and you know she she touched Jesus, but it wasn't an unbelieving touch. It was a the touch of faith, wasn't it? And also, a lot of people have faith, but they don't touch. They have a, an inkling of, of belief. Yeah, I kind of believe that. But they, they don't come out and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. <laughs> I need you. So she had those two things together, touch and faith. And it, it brought her to Jesus this day. And God chose to bless her efforts. I mean, it's an amazing miracle. God kind of you know, saw her faith in this action. And he chose to heal her. He chose to heal her with this touch of the, of the garment. Fantastic. Uh, I, I like this phrase also that jumps out in this text. I, I think it's actually just surprising to me. Again, verse 29, healed of her disease, of her scourge. And then verse 30, and Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him. To me, that's just interesting. Um, you know, again, hustle and bustle, everybody's touching him and no power's going out of him. But the woman who touches in faith, believing, somehow drains some power from Jesus. That's interesting. Honestly, just I, I don't know where to go beyond, wow, that's weird. <laughs> okay. But I do. I kept asking myself, well, why is that recorded in that way? And on one thing, it brings us to the theology of who Jesus is. So I put this word on there. This is an anglicized version version of a Greek word, kenosis, 
it's the word in in the the book of Philippians two six through seven. We learn about who Jesus is and what what did it mean that God the Son became a human being for us, and that word means emptied, emptied. Um, this is an interesting illustration of of what kenosis means. Because here, here's my point: as God, he, he wouldn't have this sensation of like, oh, what just happened? You know, God doesn't have that sensation. Uh, that would be um, contingency, something he didn't know. But for Jesus, there's a sense like. Oh, you know, what just happened? I mean, I think it's honest, legitimate. I think in his humanness, he didn't know what had happened. Who touched me? I mean, I don't think it's just a rhetorical question. That's just my point of view. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I, I'm okay being wrong. But I just feel like in the text, it seems to indicate that he's going, wow, what was that? <laughs> you know? Um, and here's the verse. This is Philippians 2, 6 through 7. Who, is speaking of Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to hold on to it exclusively. No, he, he actually released his grasp on being God exclusively, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. So this is what we mean, the great mystery of Jesus. He's fully man at the same time of being fully God. And at least while he's here on the earth treading around, he's, he's very human. Remember earlier he was sound asleep on the boat. He was exhausted from a long day. And he eats food and he's very fully human. He's not just some sort of like divine person that floats around and, and you know, no, he's human and God. I don't fully understand this. I'm just saying, here's a good illustration of what it means uh, to be in his in his servanthood. He he gave up in, in this time and space the attribute of God to know everything all the time. And again, at the same time, he illustrates that he knows everything all the time. Uh, forgive me for being contradictory, but. We kind of hold these two truths together, right? This is Christ. This is Jesus. You know, there's really awesome implications of that. Um, he's, he's a man. We can talk to him. And he, he relates to us. He knows what we're going through. He doesn't need like lesser gods underneath him to help him relate to us. No, he's fully man. There's not like a whole series of gods that reach down to us. No, he's fully man and fully God. Phenomenal, beautiful idea. Secondly, there's an aspect of public confession here, right? Who did this? And he turns around and is looking around the crowd and and look at the text. It's so awesome. It says... uh, well, the disciples, you know, say, come on, come on. Hey, what are you saying? He who touched me. But he sort of ignores them. It says he looked around to see who had, who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. You know, we're to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. This is appropriate response to Jesus. In fear and trembling, notice she falls down before him. 
It's appropriate to worship him. He's God and man. And told him the whole truth. So she tells him the whole story of what's going on. So I, I think there's a public confession here. And, and God commands us to publicly confess our faith, to be outspoken about it, to be counted, to be named, to be numbered as a believer. If you, you know, if you, if you've received, you know, healing of the, of the curse of sin, you know, you can't just keep it in your closet. You have to be known as a believer. Uh, the psalm says, let the redeemed of the Lord, what? Say so. If you're redeemed from the Lord, say so. You know, it doesn't say that we, you know, have to do it in a, some sort of, you know, irrational manner. And I think that means something in Beijing and something in Monterey. And, uh, but, but we're, but we don't just bury it either. Here, here's the word of God. This is the word of Jesus in Matthew 10, 32. It says, so, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, in increasing ways, I think in our lifetime, uh, we will be faced with those issues. Uh, not, you know, in a, not too far away, this is happening in other parts of the world. Are you a Christian? You know, as I have this sword at your neck, you know, will you deny Jesus or not? And, you know, God bless those who stay faithful. They will not deny. So there's this public confession that Jesus is calling for. And then finally, I have the, the, the final part of my sermon, the benediction. This question and this interaction with this lady brings out this glorious good word from our Savior Jesus. The power and grace of Jesus is illustrated in this story. That's what this story is about. He's, he's infinitely powerful. And, and the faith of just touching the hem of his garment heals this dear lady. And he says this to her. First of all, I already in, indicated this daughter. Daughter. It's a beautiful thing. There's no rejection. There's no like, oh, you're gross. You smell. You've been bleeding for twelve years. You, you know, you're, you're untouchable. You're what? Why did you touch me? Do you know who I am. You know, no, there's none of that, is there? There's this loving compassion, dear, sweet family member, my daughter. There's an amazing love uh, that fathers have for daughters, uh, and I, I'm gloriously blessed with that. Love my daughters. And so his, his heart comes through, his mercy, his kindness, dear daughter. And then he says to her, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Uh, faith saves us. We're saved by faith and faith alone. Uh, nothing else, no, none of our efforts can save us. Only by faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, go in peace. You know, the Hebrew word would have been shalom. Don't know if he was speaking Hebrew. He may have been speaking uh, Aramaic here, and sadly, I should know the Aramaic word for peace, but I don't know it. I'll learn it and come back to you next week. <laughs> uh, but 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 you know, shalom. They probably had some form of shalom in Arabic. It's similar, right? Uh, salam or something like that. Who's the Arabic student? 
afraid to admit it. <laughs> no, 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 I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, this is shalom, shalom alaka, shalom, peace to you, peace to you. You know, no more turmoil. Don't be overwhelmed. Uh, I love you. You're my daughter. You're made well. Peace to you. And be healed of your scourge. Be healed of your disease. That's the grace that Jesus offers to us. It's all of grace. You know, It's of grace from beginning to the end. It's the goodness of God that he offers to us to heal us and forgive us and love us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for this healing within the healing. Oh, Lord, we thank you for this dear unnamed lady's faith. Um, and how we just celebrate, oh, Father, the, the beauty and the power of Jesus. And we also think about his, his servanthood. He's here to be the servant. And even in his emptying himself, He's mixing it up with the hoi polloi, the the crowds, and uh, putting himself out there to be touched uh, by the unclean. Yet, Lord, we pray, O Father, that we praise you, rather, that he is so clean. His his righteousness is overwhelming. And by faith, we, when we touch him, uh, we are clean. We're washed. Thank you for this glorious grace and forgiveness, O Father. And we pray that we would be people of faith, that we would connect action uh, with our faith and uh, glorify you by the way we move toward you. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.